our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Well, today on Vulnerable, I chat with Steph Davis. As it is thundering in my house, which just seems fitting because Steph is a adventurer. She is a base jumper as well as an acclaimed like rock climber. She's she's just so many things. And so in talking to her, I really got to understand risk assessment. And it was really cool to hear how she evolved from being a classically trained pianist from the time she was 3 years old and how she utilized that skill set into being such a daredevil. So, we're going to chat with her today on Vulnerable. I'm Christy Carlson Romano, and this is The Vulnerable Podcast. Steph Davis is many things. Badass is definitely one that comes to mind, in my opinion. But let me just read, too, here. So she's an American rock climber, bass jumper, wingsuit flyer. She's one of the world's leading climbers, having completed some of the hardest routes in the world. And you are with us today on Vulnerable to talk about all of the things of life. (laughs) (laughs) So where are you right now? Are you in California? No, I live in Moab, Utah. I'm at home. Oh, nice. What is it? Mm -hmm. Utah is beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. Have you always lived there or where where are you originally from? I've lived here since I think 90, I want to say 95, Uh something like that. That's when I started basing out of here. I was just really traveling a lot and not actually living anywhere, but this became my base. And then Mm -hmm. in 2000, was it 2000 or 2001? Something like that is when um, I got my house here. So I guess I could officially say I live here. Got since it. then you set roots down yeah <laughs> i know how that is cuz like my whole life too i i've always been a renter you know and we just purchased our first home and our oh, really congratulations started, thank you so much uh, you know it's 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 i guess technically late but i'm not judging it i'm just happy to be able to you know finally do it and yeah you know it's it's a really weird it's a weird concept for me in which i can relate to in terms of like putting roots down when you're a person mm-hmm. who enjoys movement and freedom and mm-hmm. like, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So were you always a daredevil, like as a kid? <laughs> I don't think so. I think. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, my family was not very adventurous when okay. I was growing up. In a, in a really weird sequence of events, my older brother has ended up doing basically all the sports that I do and actually some more. And we have always gotten into them like parallel, not necessarily together. And not so, competitively? Like you guys weren't no, a competitive no. type of sibling? Okay. No, actually, because, you know, with doing the sports that we do, whether it's climbing or skydiving or base jumping, it's just like fun and exciting when your sibling yeah. does it. Yeah. So. Yeah. We have had some really cool adventures doing things together. He skis a lot. I'm not much of a skier myself. Yeah. You're more like um, the so dry not... climate. <laughs> You're more yeah, the dry. and I like I like Nordic skiing where he's downhill skiing. So we really have never skied together. Okay. But yeah, the other stuff, weirdly, we both got into it simultaneously in different places. Uh each of those things. And it's been really strange. But when we were growing up, we didn't really do things like that. Really? Okay. So hold on a second. So were your parents and where where are you from originally? I was born in Illinois. Okay. And then, but my parents moved around. So then we lived in New Jersey. Okay. And then I finished growing up in Maryland. Were they in the military? Was somebody in the military or why were you moving? No, just um, my dad. My dad was an engineer. Okay. And I think it was just on the function of different jobs. He worked yeah. for Motorola, then he worked mm-hmm. for Cessna, mm-hmm. and then he worked for University of Maryland Research Foundation. Um, he mm-hmm. does aeronautical stuff. Interesting. So I think it was just a function of him switching places yeah. to work. Yeah. I feel like engineers do travel more than people realize. When we think engineer, yeah. we think it's like a, 
uh, it's a stable job. It's a wonderful job and very intelligent people are engineers, but like there is a bit of mo- more movement than you would think. So then you're yeah. growing up in all these places. So was your mom sort of, was she a stay at home mom? Was she, was she cautious? Like what was her, what was her deal? <laughs> um, she was a teacher. So that kind of allowed her to be around when we were home from school okay. and things like that. And um, yes, very cautious. Mm-hmm. Still very cautious. <laughs> no way. See, I'm asking yes. for a friend who's also me because I am very cautious with my kids, man. I was basically raised to never break a bone in my body. Knock on wood. Okay. See? Because I was this like kid actor. And so if you broke a bone or like if you, if anytime I was play fighting with my brother, I was like, not the face, not the face. <laughs> <laughs> so I was always really intrigued by that concept of like the normal childhood, you know, like, oh my gosh, you know, they just fell because they were playing, you know, what's that mm-hmm. like? Are they, you know, it really, it, it, being raised by a super cautious parent and then also sort of like, you know, we were in New York City a lot. We would travel a lot. Oh, okay. We we did see, you know, I did feel like caution became this like magical thinking level of caution where she was like, you know, you have to be right next to me at all times. You know, don't, because it was, I mean, to be fair, when I was growing up and starting in the, like, like whatever entertainment industry as a little kid, Mm -hmm. I started Mm -hmm. at six, but I would go into the city and, you know, the early nineties, New York city is very different than it is now. So, so I only, I only speak on this because caution as a parent has now transcended down to me and I am, very prideful of the fact that my kids aren't risk takers. The littlest one is a little bit more than I'd like her to be. So I'm curious, like, when did you start to have this like sense of adventure awaken in you? When when did that happen? (laughs) Well, I think I I also, I'm a different generation than you and I was more like the free range people. Uh So Uh despite having very, uh, you know, not so risk taking parents, we all grew up, you know, we were allowed to go play in the woods and do things mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Know, we weren't like <laughs> kind of <Yeah>. kept all. <laughs> so like, that's corralled. why I always laugh now. I'm like, how did we all survive? <laughs> I know there's the, I see, you know, honestly I do. I see those memes. So I'm, th- I'm 38. My old, I'm the youngest of four. And so my sister, my oldest sister's 45. Mm-hmm. And so I do think our life experience is definitely different, but I will mm-hmm. say Growing up in Connecticut, where I'm originally from, there was a little bit of that, yeah, go out, get out, go out there, go into the woods when you have the yeah. free time. And yeah. I think collectively as a society, we're starting to want to return to that free range. Yeah. But there's still that like that crazy thought in your mind where you're like, but wait, what if there's like these unforeseen enemies and things out there? Yeah. When you hear the word adventure, what does that make you think of? Uh, that's a good question. I think... I think they always say, what's the definition of adventure? And isn't that not knowing the outcome per cool. se when That's you really start cool. doing something? Mm-hmm. So I think that would be kind of like the general definition of adventure. But of course, when you say adventure, well, I mean, I guess I most think of going outdoors and into wild places. But I do also think of more like life path adventures too. Like, cool. Just truly, you know, taking on something really big and not being sure, not knowing exactly how it's going to all unfold. I think that's kind of what makes it exciting is you sort of, you have reason to believe that it can work out legitimately, but it's not guaranteed, which is basically life. (laughs) Yeah, that's, yeah, no, it's really true. Oh my gosh, I'm so triggered, but I'm so in love with what you do. It's like I have such a massive fascination and appreciation <laughs> for your career. And and I would love to get into it because are there a lot of females I- that do what you do specifically with your set of skills? I would say with all sports, increasingly more women are getting into them. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely seen that shift in the years I've been climbing where it went from not being very many women and especially you know, on the upper ends of difficulty and the more outskirts of adventure, you especially weren't seeing women. And that's totally changed now. And then with air sports, skydiving, base jumping, same thing when I started, I started those later. So about 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. when I first got into air sports, very few women, 
just just very few. And now I'm seeing more and more and more. So it's it's just like everything, you know. I think there was kind of a gender gap and barrier, especially mm -hmm. with extreme sports, and that's really fading away. That's so interesting. And do you know why that mm -hmm. is? Or is it just like representation? Do you think that makes the biggest I difference? Think, I think that with extreme sports, with them being sort of newer, you know, climbing mm. is newer, air sports are newer. And so I think that, and, and I think different generations too. Mm -hmm. And so I think when they first kind of started happening, you don't have that many people doing them. They're not very accessible. Nobody really knows about it. Mm -hmm. And then the few people that were getting into it were more predominantly male because, you know, whatever. And then, <laughs> and then as they developed and became... <laughs> have you ever hung out with a toddler boy? They will literally boulder climb anything. It doesn't matter. They will hardcore parkour on any, any, you know, give them a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I just think as they've developed, you know, then mm -hmm. it gets more known about, it gets, you know, more people doing it. You see it, it looks really cool. Some of your friends are doing it. You want to do it too. And it just starts to expand. Do you find that people who are more likely to try some of these, the air sports and like the varied sports that you are attracted to, do you find that they're sort of already doing athletic things that are parallel to some of those? Like uh, somebody who's hiking, like, someone who's like already doing- Like multi-sporters. Yeah. 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 I do think, I mean, I know for myself, I when I first started climbing, that's when I first saw base jumping take place because I would be on some big wall somewhere and like see somebody jump off that wall. You're like, and I'm then, going up and they're having a blast going yeah. down. <laughs> well, just, you know, kind of startling, honestly, but then just yeah. to kind of become aware, like, oh, this is another thing you can do here. Wow. So That's same places. Cool. That's very cool. That is, okay, so let's go back. So you grew up with sort of a cautious teacher mom and, and then what happened? Like, when did you start to become athletic? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know. Maybe my kids don't have to, you know... Maybe I don't have to ruin their, you know, <laughs> like their sense of adventure. I really don't want to. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when I grew up, uh, I was very academic, really focused on school. That was my family environment. And I was also a musician. I was studying classical piano. I started when I was three mm -hmm. and then just got really immersed in music throughout high school and into college. So I was kind of down this very different road. But in some ways similar, you know, as you kind of start to compare notes with yourself and see the places that the things they have in common. When I first was in college, it was my freshman year, and I'd kind of gotten into mountain biking a little bit. Hmm. I was starting to do it. I thought it was really fun. My dad had been an enduro racer before my brother and I were around. And I mm -hmm. think maybe there was some sort of, you know, roots with mountain Calling. biking connection in, in that way. Yeah. yeah. And so I kind of, I, I started doing that. I liked it. So I was doing a little bit outdoors and mm -hmm. then just in college, you know, met somebody that said, do you want to go rock climbing? I see you're into mountain biking. And I was like, what's that? Never heard of it. Cause you know, wow. again, this was a long Never time ago. Yeah. That's Nobody true. heard of it. Yeah, and, um, so rock and so climbing just was out new. of curiosity, I went. Um, I, yeah. I'm not going to say it was new. It was just not very common. Main, it was mainstream. very strange. That's true. Very it's fringe. gotten really popular in the last, I'd say, like 10, 15 years for sure. So that was a date or something? Like you just went on like a first date and they were like, let's go rock climbing? Um, no, not really. I think it was just kind of, again so fringe there weren't really yeah. people to do things with got it it was with a guy but i think he just saw somebody with a mountain bike and thought ah somebody to do things with because there weren't a lot of people doing mm -hmm. these activities so he just said hey do you want to go rock climbing because you need somebody to go with and i said well what is that i guess i want to go because i've never heard of it right and then instantly loved it and then i was kind of in that position of having to say wow how do i get to do this more and so I tried to find, you know, the school outdoors club, realized that you go to the climbing place and you can find people there and you have to be friendly. There mm -hmm. weren't really the climbing gyms at that time. And so mm -hmm. it wasn't like now where there's this big climbing gym culture. So it was really like you had to go outdoors and figure out how to get climbing and, and just the very few people that were into it. Because there were so few people, 
If yeah. you did just show up at the cliff and say, I want to go climbing, then people were like, great, because there wasn't anybody to climb with. <laughs> so would they help you with, uh, I mean, was this not bouldering? Because bouldering is different in that you don't have mm -hmm. a harness and a, a rappel, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you were still repelling. I'm, I'm sure you do both, right? Don't you boulder as well? I feel like I've seen you do everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to climb. When I first was climbing, this was still in Maryland. And mm -hmm. again, I mean, it, it worked out, it worked out really perfectly because the local crag there is really small, really easy, really, yeah. you know, great for beginners. And, um, yeah. You have to use ropes just enough that it was like a manageable skill set to try to learn about. So really, in retrospect, it was just such a perfect scenario for somebody. And crag, for people that don't know what crag is, I'm assuming it's like the landscape? The Oh, it's a little uh, crag was, is like a, a small cliff. Got it. So then you would kind of walk out to the base of the small cliff and then there would be, you could climb on that little cliff. And is it the texture of the cliff that makes it easier to climb? I feel like that's a metaphor for life. There are a lot of different things that make things harder or easier. Okay. One of those things can be the angle. And ah, so that if it's sense. severely overhanging and you're kind of upside down, that could be really hard. Yeah. But then it's also interesting because if it's severely slabby and then there's not really much to grab and you're kind of sliding off it that could also be hard so yeah. so it's kind of a combination of things it, it really comes down to partly the angle partly the texture partly like what kind of features there are that you're grabbing yeah so obviously if there was like a lot of big features that'd be pretty easy but if right. there was very few features and it was thin that might be harder okay so it really sort of depends it's kind of like a combination of elements that will contribute to what is harder or easier on a particular climb that you want to do. But okay. in general, the nature of an area can also be a certain way. So this place where I learned how to climb, it wasn't very tall. It wasn't very steep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was, it was you know, like usually, usually enough holds to grab. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the whole nature, I'm not saying there weren't ways to make it harder there, but sort of the nature of the area was very beginner friendly. Well, I'm sure it's seasonal too, right? Because Maryland has some, like, can you only climb at certain times of year? Right, because in the winter, it could be too cold, or sometimes in the summer, it could be like really humid and hot, and you'd be slipping oh. off. I mean, you could oh, still go, but it wouldn't be as fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you, you, never, you never think about that, how the body interacts with nature and, and, the, and the activity. That's very interesting. Climbers think about that all the time. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. There's so much more. You must see the world in such a different set of ways. Well, it's very conditions dependent. I'm sure. So. I'm sure, but it's also probably a great skill set. If you did need to do it survivally, I would want to know how to climb down mm -hmm. from somewhere or if you're hiking and you hear some crazy stories about people who've fallen and, and kind yeah. of can't get themselves out. Okay, so you mentioned that you had started out as a classical pianist and that mm -hmm. some of those skills were sort of informing your learning process as sort of this adventurer. And, and so can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, it's actually pretty interesting because it seems completely opposite, right? Playing classical music and then yeah, like rock in one climbing. place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it just seems totally different. But um, but it is really interesting because you know, it, like I said, I started as a little kid. I started when I was three, so I guess wow. similar to you, kind of getting into this thing really young. But it takes a ton of focus, and you're just practicing all the time. True, like that's huh? that's really the the sport, I guess. Of classical yeah, I guess music it is, is just fine practicing. motor skills, right? Like well, and just the time of kind of sitting alone and mm. focusing on something. You know, to be honest, I especially feel like with the state of the world nowadays and the media and the way all of our brains have changed as a result, it seems yeah. like the ability to focus is this very precious thing. It is. Yeah. And so me as a child, that's what I did. I just focused on practicing and learning and rehearsing. That's really a lot of what rock climbing is too, especially high-end rock climbing is mm -hmm. sort of similar to maybe dance or playing music where you, you pick this one climb that's too hard for you to do and then you pick it all apart, you kind of choreograph it and then you keep trying it over and over and over again because the goal is to finally do it without falling, whether you have a rope or not. 
Uh-huh. And so it could take a really long time to put it all together and to achieve Wait, you just that. said whether you have a rope or not. So there's instances where you'll choreograph and just let yourself fall off without a rope? Well, it's maybe like on a short boulder. Okay. So it, it, would, the same, it would be the same idea, but maybe mm-hmm. that would be very just like a very short climb. But it could also be a really tall climb. Then you'd have a rope usually. But the whole game of it is you're trying to start at the bottom and go to the top without falling and then yeah. once you've done that, then you have, quote, done the climb, whereas before that you were just attempting the climb. Yeah, that's really, <laughs> that's really fascinating. I never really thought about it that way, that there's a coordination and a, almost like a choreography that you could pre-learn to envision in your head. Now, there's some things you probably can't know when you're in the midst of your climb. Like, you can't know if that's a piece of rock is actually a frail piece of rock, right? Like, or unless somebody else has proven it to be like implanted in there, right? Because what if you said, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my foot there and then it comes off? Well, again, in climbing, it's, you know, it's like any sport, it gets very specific. So another, another comparison I would make to music is um, sometimes when you climb, you do something what is called on-siting. And so it mm-hmm. means you've never tried that climb before and you don't know mm-hmm. anything about it. You haven't talked to anybody about it, really. You haven't seen anybody else climb it. And so you just like walk improv. up fresh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like sight reading music. It's, you know, you haven't done it before. You haven't practiced it. Um, And that's a very different experience and skill set than the rehearsing, which is called red pointing of a climb, where you could be practicing that climb for years sometimes before you would do it. That must be frustrating. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. It can be, it can make you crazy. But it's just interesting. Um, so, so yeah, when you're on site, there's a lot more unknown. So people's on site level is usually much less than their red point level because, uh-huh. you know, you're coming up with no information, no nothing, and and every time you grab a hold, you don't know mm-hmm. what what you're yeah. doing. It's it's more risky. Do you prefer on siting or do you prefer to kind of plan it out beforehand? That's a good question. It's really different. So I kind of mm-hmm. like both. And I, I think, again, as a maybe, uh, you know, having grown up with this practicing a lot, I, I really enjoy cage free. You were cage-free kid. Process. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I also, I also enjoy on-siting. I enjoy just showing up and, you know, it's new and it's exciting and you don't know what's going to happen. So they're just both really different experience. Yeah, absolutely. So now you, you started learning to climb and everything. Did it unlock something in you to want to do these other sports and to sort of commit your life in this direction and sort of not go any other route that you were entertaining? It was not long after I started climbing that I quit music. Wow. I actually switched schools. I did a student exchange program to Colorado State, which is in Fort Collins, Colorado, because obviously more climbing in Colorado than Maryland. Yeah, beautiful. So beautiful. So yeah, I really kind of redirected my life. I stayed in school. But um, I just completely reshaped what I was doing to accommodate mm-hmm. kind of going down the climbing road okay. and knew that that was what I wanted to do. That's amazing. So to quit music, that's that, did you feel any regrets at all or were you ready? Like, do you still yeah, love I music? Think, do you miss it? I think I had a complicated relationship with it, I think because of starting so young yeah, and not on. really having chosen it <laughs> <laughs> and then having, you know, dedicated a lot of life to it. I think that yeah. it was a complicated relationship. And I think that wow, when I found climbing, I felt so strongly that I was so excited about it. And it was my thing that I was choosing. And so I think at the time, it kind of felt like breaking free <laughs> in a way. I bet it did. I bet it did. I can relate to that for sure. So you felt very constrained by sort of being pretty, you were pretty competitive then with yourself or just in general, that was sort of, sort of what you were known for. It's just like, oh, this is Steph. Um, She's a pianist. Like, Yeah, I don't know so much competitive. I mean, when you play music, you do get sent to music competitions and things like that. But I think more just, just a different world of being outdoors, you know, all this adventure. And yeah, I definitely... Um, there was a, I felt a lot of pressure with mm-hmm. music. And I, mm-hmm. I think because you're always competing and practicing and performing and, you know, being judged and, and things like that. And, and I, it did feel like a lot of pressure, which 
I was really drawn to the freedom that I got yeah. when I was outdoors climbing. Wow, that's really that's really amazing. It also makes me want to take up a hobby. <laughs> you know, because ho- I mean, so at what point did you decide, you know what, yes, I quit music, but this type of life, this is not like a hobby for me. This is something that's more of a calling, more of a life purpose. Well, um, again, you know, you kind of have to go back in time a little bit because this is in the 90s. And so I was, I did stay in school. I got a master's degree in literature. I went to law school in Boulder for a week. And then (laughs) this whole time I had been, you know, every school break, every weekend, every time I wasn't in class, I was now living the climbing lifestyle, which Mm -hmm. again, back then, no climbing gyms. So if you wanted to be a serious climber, you had to be on the rocks as much as possible And so I would go during the breaks and I would live at climbing areas with all the people that were living the climbing life. And then I would have to go back to school and kind of hop out of that. And so I was kind of putting one foot in both life a little bit. And so you had to make a choice. Yeah, there was a moment I, I, you know, Boulder, Colorado is a great place to be. But I I started law school and I just felt like this isn't where I want to be. This isn't what I want to do. I want to go climbing. And I've done it. I've got a master's degree. You know, I yeah. got accepted to law school. I got accepted to PhD programs. I could do those things, but I just don't want to. And it's, it's done, you know? And so wow. that I sounds like a dropped point. out of school. <laughs> yeah. It was a big turning point. Dropped out of school, yeah. um, moved into my car. Cause that's kind of what climbers do. I was going to say, what is the climbing life? You mentioned the climbing life. What is that? Well, I want to say, I say what climbers do, but again, it's more like what climbers did. Because now you can climb a ton if you live somewhere because you'll have a climbing gym and you can train and it's a whole different deal. But but back then, you know, you had to go live in Yosemite or live in Moab and and you had to just live climbing and be able to travel with the seasons and be able to just be there. That's that was how you would do it if you wanted to really become a climber. So so it was kind of okay. so that's why you said decision. And that's why you said you said I didn't really live anywhere. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Got that's it. why I had a base because you, yeah. you travel, you know, especially if you're doing expedition climbing, which I was doing quite a bit of in the 90s and 2000s. So I was just, you know, it's very seasonal. There's different yeah. places you go depending on the season and usually Makes stay sense. in those places for a few months at a time. Yeah. And then the season changes and you just switch. So was it so dangerous ever doing. to just, because you were solo? Was it you or were you with your like partner? Um, or well, I solo? had a dog. I always had okay. a dog. So I was with my okay. dog. And then um, and then again, you know, there is this kind of, and, and what I say was, I mean, I th- there still is. People are still traveling and climbing a lot. It's just, yeah. it was a little bit different then because that was the only way. And there was this mm-hmm. very floating community. And mm-hmm. so depending on the type of climbing you want to do or the place, if you were doing it enough, you would just know. Like if you show right. up in Rifle, Colorado in the fall, all the rifle people will be there. <laughs> and then if you go down to Patagonia in the winter, like all uh-huh. the Patagonia climbers are going to be there from around the world. And you kind of, there's different communities. Like, you know, mm-hmm. even when I would go to Pakistan, like I would know who I'd run into because it's kind wow. of like the same people. It's still that going. small of a community. Wow. Yeah, maybe a little less so now, but especially at that time. And so, okay. wow. so you're so really now, by yourself. <laughs> okay, got it, got it. Okay, so it's it's kind of seen as like you take care of each other kind of mentality or you're just not Or just you yourself. just know people are going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and and you need it. people to climb with. So you have your friends that you like to climb with and yeah. you're going to be climbing with people. And Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. Okay, so when did you decide to sort of expand this this adventure lifestyle, as I keep calling it? But did you base jump first or what was it exactly that brought you to that decision? Oh, to start base jumping? No, that was yeah. pretty late in the game for me. Like I said, I started jumping 15 years ago. I'd already been climbing for a really long time. Was pretty tunnel visioned as a climber on some level in that I just wanted to climb. But I was also right. kind of an all-arounder in that I really have always switched gears within climbing. So I don't only do one sort of climbing. Okay. And that's kind of what keeps it fresh and interesting for me. Yeah. And there's always sort of, for me, this push-pull between I enjoy pursuing pure difficulty, which is 
a big part of rock climbing. Mm-hmm. But I also really enjoy pursuing adventure, which kind of gets you into the mountain side of things. Interesting. And so I've always been kind of on this track of like, you know, when I was going on expeditions a lot, I would go off on an expedition for a few months and then I'd come home and be like, oh, I'm not in shape for hard rock climbing now. I got to get it back oh. together. So, so with expedition, like, do you have to have more body mass so that you can can weather? Yeah, you're carrying big backpacks everywhere and then ah, just doing okay. a lot of like work on the wall of hauling things. And then, you know, you're kind of dealing with weather. If you're putting up a first a, a new route that hasn't been climbed before. You, yeah. You don't really know what you're going to get. And there's a lot of work in putting up the route and route finding. It's not like you're, you know, sitting there focusing on this one really hard rock climb for months and months, which is a really different style of climbing. And right, so, right, right. I mean, as a climber, I much, I, I would complain about that all the time because, you know, yeah. you always feel like you're not fit for the thing you're trying to do, but it's also sort of pretty exciting and fun because you go off on some adventure and then you come home and you're training really hard to do something else. So it keeps you pretty engaged. And then there's, I think it satisfies that desire for just the sheer difficulty type of pursuit, but also some adventure. So when I first um, got into jumping and got introduced to it, it just really answered that interest in adventure for Mm. me. Got it. And that's something that I I just really love. And then as I got into wingsuit base jumping, it's kind of neat because, you know, you do need to go up a mountain if you want to fly off the mountain. And so when yeah. you come into that as a climber, it's it's great because you're always like, oh, here's this mountain. How do we get up there? And, and it's fun, you know, going up yeah. the mountain is fun. And so yeah. you get to do that all the time and fly. So it, it just really... It's a win-win. I think it just really fit me. Yeah, fit me really okay. well in okay, terms great. of kind of those things that I like. So what's more dangerous is base... Is base jumping more dangerous, would you say, or is rock climbing? That is a good question. Um, you know, when, when you say rock climbing, I guess if you put mountain climbing in there too, alpine okay. climbing, ice climbing, that kind of affects oh, the question. Wow. Yeah. Because, you know, as a climber, for all the years before I got into jumping, I had lost a lot of friends in the mountains oh, to various, usually avalanches. Oh, gosh. Just other things too. You know, it's just... Yeah things happen in the mountains. And so when I started base jumping, lost a lot of friends base jumping and it is certainly dangerous. I, I was just talking to a friend about this recently, actually a jumper friend, which was Mm -hmm. pretty nice because usually the conversation is like ours where it's somebody who doesn't do the sports and is trying to understand the risk and the danger aspect. But it was kind of neat. He actually came over and was like, I want to talk about this. And I was like, wow, this has never happened before. I like it. Okay. And he's like, what do you think, you know, about the risk and, you know, all these years? Like, what? how do you keep, what's your view on all this? And we just kind of like right. had a really nice conversation about it. And um, finally, I, I don't know, I, I said to him, I, I said, you know, there's a lot of accidents, but you do kind of have to evaluate the accidents. And it's with any sport, you have to say there's preventable accidents preventable, right? Sure. According to me, sure. I guess. Right. <laughs> there's preventable and, accidents. And then there's yeah. stuff that you're like, huh, we're not really sure what happened there. And the funny thing about base jumping is there are a lot of accidents, but a lot of the accidents are highly preventable. Okay. And so for me, the way I view it, I tend to separate those okay. um, when I see them. Okay. And so I, I feel, yes, there are a lot of accidents, but if we took out all the ones that were pretty easily avoided, mm. there become a lot less. That's what I was going to say. Like, what would you suggest to people who were just naturally interested in kind of mm-hmm. living this life of adventure? Mm-hmm. Like, should they take lots of classes? I mean, and you're mm-hmm. one of these, it sounds like you're kind of one of the pioneers here of this this lifestyle too, and the skill set. So mm-hmm. what can people do now to kind of take away that chance of risk? Because sometimes yeah. I'll tell you, I do, I do see a lot of people that will take a loss in life because they were an influencer and they wanted to mm-hmm. show people what they did. Or I saw recently a family that went on a hike and a bear started to chase them and their two little, ba- you know, their two little kids and they, they handled it and they were lucky to get out. But you do hear people sort of misguided into 
being called into the wild, but then not mm-hmm. really understanding those risks? What's the best way yeah. for people to educate themselves? I think that it's really important to do a lot of risk assessment. Okay. In 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 everything. Yeah. <laughs> in life. Okay. See. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I often um, I do a lot of public speaking, and I often speak with people who are risk managers or okay. reinsurers, things like that. And I love it because I say to them, and really in reality, what I do is risk management because yeah. I want to go experience these amazing things that are mm-hmm. extraordinary, but yeah. I want to do it sustainably. I want to keep doing yeah. it. I don't want to do it sure. once and I don't want to just get away with it. Right. So it's not that kind of an extreme sport experience high for you. No, that's not fun for me. I don't, that is not what I'm interested in. You're not um, an adrenaline junkie, you'd say? I mean, it's it's great to do exciting things. Like flying yeah. off a mountain is pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, free soloing yeah. something is really exciting, but there's yeah. a difference between exciting and like, you know, I just scratched through it. And yeah. Anytime I feel like if for whatever reason I just scratched through something, I think it's a terrible experience. What does that mean to scratch through something like you kind of, you know, just just kind of, you know, you just made it. It just kind of worked out. You got away with it. I I, that's not what I want to do. I I don't like that at all. So for me, it's all about saying, okay, you know, here's this extraordinary thing. What do I need to do to do it? And then work on that, you know, maybe for years. And yeah. progress into it and then say, okay, you know, what are all the things that could go wrong that I can think of? Okay. And then how am I going to address all those things? Do I have a plan? And try to come up with the plan, whether that's training myself better, whether that's picking the right situation, whether that's assessing conditions and making choices right. about them, whether right. it's the gear I have, the person I'm going with, or if I'm by myself, you know, everything. And then what right. am I going to do? If, thing, if this happens, what am I going to do if that happens? What am I going to do if this happens? Yeah. And then if you have all of those things lined up, you have just taken out a lot of associated risk that, may, that would be there had you not done those things. Yeah. And then at that point, the risk level will have come down pretty dramatically to the yeah. point where, you know, okay, so now what I get is I get to fly off a mountain and the amount of risk I'm taking has gone from this down to this. Yeah, it's, then it it's makes more sense. minimized. Yeah, that's exactly. really fascinating. It really is, and I don't think people think like that. They don't. I think they think people that live this adventurous lifestyle are totally down to risk it all kind of mentality. Whereas yeah, it's quite the, the opposite. Thing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, and I think you know the visuals are such that. There is that kind of like you said, oh, aren't you all adrenaline junkies? Because it looks like that and it looks really fast yeah. and it looks really crazy. And but, but if you really back it up and you see what it takes to get to that point, it starts to look a little bit different. Yeah. Why, why do you think the media portrays this? I mean, is there an economy baked into like, you know, jumping out of planes and like stuff like that? It, it, there's there's got to be people that make their livings doing this. So there's this idea when we, like you're saying, this projected image of people who are doing this as these adrenaline junkies, which I've got to think is irresponsible to the overall community because it's telling people like, hey, crazy person, like come here and don't think anything through. Just fling yourself off a mountain and see what happens. And so <laughs> I just wonder is that, how, that, that just does, it seems like your community is very different than the community that we generally see. Well, I'm not going to say there isn't that aspect to the sport, to, to the sports. Okay. I mean, there's okay. certainly, you know, it takes all kinds and people have different goals and people are looking mm. for different things. And yeah. <laughs> there's certainly going to be people that have different type personalities. Of yeah, exactly. Sure. Exactly. Sure. So there, there's certainly plenty of that. And maybe, you know, that goes along with more attention seeking or getting, or I'm not sure, but yeah, I think also, you know, we've evolved for a really long time and the world we're living in now is very brief compared to the way humans have evolved and humans have evolved to be very afraid of heights because falling yeah, off I a high th- place is dangerous yeah. when you're living out in the wild. Ah. We've evolved to be afraid of predators. And I think those are probably the top two. So we have these very deep, irrational sometimes fears of things associated with heights and predators. And I think that even still, if you see like 
a cheeseburger and a plate of fries, you're not scared, but you will more likely die of heart disease from eating those <laughs> than, than standing at the edge of a cliff where you're probably you not going to fall off. Are you saying that we don't think things through as humans right now? Because, uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I just right. think I think our evolution hasn't put us in the best position to assess risk in our current environment. Okay, so then do you almost have to not listen to that voice at times as long as you're, you know, figuring out risk? I say this, by the way, and I'm literally staring out my window and there's a lightning storm happening. <laughs> so it's very poetic. I don't know, somehow. It's like there's lightning literally dancing in front of me very close to my house. And honestly, and on that, I, I, I think it's really wonderful to see how professional you are because it's it's speaking to the community at large. It's definitely educating people about what to do if they're genuinely interested in this and then and then this lifestyle by extension. So then wh- what has made your career so diversified and why have you decided to sort of publicize your way of life? Is there a reason why you've taken to posting on social media and sort of mm-hmm. how I found you? And what what was mm-hmm. the turning point for you to sort of make this more of a public journey? So I started climbing in 1991 and Like I said, there weren't really the climbing gyms at that time. Climbing was kind of a fringe thing. Nobody was very interested in it, really. There were a few climbers, most notably Lynn Hill at that time, who had become famous to the point of making a living from it. But that was very, very minimalistic. So it wasn't a path that you could consider doing. Now it's different. Climbing's in the Olympics. Right. It's very big. You know, a lot of people make a living off it. It's a big industry. The outdoor industry uh-huh. um, is very lucrative. So there's paths for that. But I kind of came into it at a funny time where I think that that was just sort of starting to happen as I became more of a climber. And so mm-hmm. just along the way, I kind of found myself getting, you know, a sponsorship here, a sponsorship there, was able to write some articles and make little bits of money. Interesting. Was doing slideshows and climbing stores for sponsors. And so it was just kind of this thing that evolved along the way, which is that if you share what you're doing in different ways, primarily storytelling, taking photos, creating content, it was all like, you know, print media back then. Right. But it was the same thing. It was just a different format. And the format Mm -hmm. was, you can't just go climbing. You have to come back and share your story and share your content about it. And then there's a service or a good that has some value. And so I just was doing that. And then when social media started, what happened was the authors switched and the editors switched from the climbing magazine editors deciding what got published and who got attention and who could make it it switched into, you know, the subjects taking the power and being able to create their own media. So that was a really interesting time in climbing because it was very limited in the beginning. Basically, you had to get into climbing magazines. That's how people knew what you were doing. That's how Mm -hmm. you could then make a career of it. And then social media changed that. Well, and also, don't you think that social media gives you this because it is just your phone? It's like you have a privileged access now with having the technology of being able to be on a summit and, you know, or real time FaceTime Mm -hmm. free fall, you know, and people could be like live, live. Maybe I don't know. This is just a pitch. It's Mm -hmm. a bad pitch. But I'm sure that there's people who are doing like these these experiences for people and engaging with people in, in, in some really amazing ways. I mean, I will tell you this. I don't know if you've seen on social media, but there's these people, these uh, most of them I think are primarily guys, but they're like, they have their, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> what I'm about to say? It's this long stick and they'll be at these really tall parts of, um, I don't know, in Dubai, there's like a really tall okay. building, right? And they'll be on the top of the building and then they'll have their stick with their camera on the edge of it. And they'll show people the, of them balancing on the top of these. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's absolute insanity. I'll send you some then because there's some people out there doing some really crazy things. And I don't know what safety precautions they're putting in place. Like if there's a net, <laughs> if there's a helicopter, but we're talking like, we're talking like there's adventure and then there's just like utter chaos. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> my mom, my mom, helicopter mom's side is like, completely enraged when I see those things. But at the same time, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of sexy at the same time. (laughs) Oh 
man. Okay, so so then that's how you started. So with social, it just became sort of a an easy layup, so to speak. With- um, it was just an extension of what I had always done when Great. social media came onto the scene because it's really it's all the same thing. It's just yeah. you know creating something of value from what you're doing. Right. Okay. So now, when did you decide to sort of uh, lay your roots down in Utah? And is Utah providing sort of the mosaic for you to have that adventure? Are there certain goals that you would like to achieve moving forward? Like I said, I first started basing here in Moab in, Uh I think, 95, just because I was traveling so much. And it was just really hard, you know, living in a truck and just traveling full time. I just needed a base and a place to come back to and keep all the stuff I wasn't using for that kind of climbing, (laughs) things like that. So that's kind of when it started for me here. But Moab is nice. It's it's a big tourist economy. It's a little hectic with tourism, but at heart, it's a small town. Mm-hmm. And so it is small town living. And yeah. I really like that. I like yeah. just being able to ride my bike around and know the people right. I've known for a long time. And uh, at the same time, it's surrounded by wilderness. And so it's mm-hmm. really easy to get out and have adventures and just very multi-sport. There's climbing, there's base jumping, there's wingsuit base jumping, there's the river, there's mountain oh, biking, wow. there's trail running, there's mountains. So it's really easy to just get out and do yeah, things it's there. Here. Your so backyard is the wilderness. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't expect you to want to be in any other kind of space. <laughs> Otherwise, you might feel <laughs> yeah. a little landlocked in that regard and, and not in a yeah. good way. But then, okay, so then you had mentioned you went to Pakistan. Are there goals? Are there places you want to go and and do base jumping? Are there certain heights that you want? What are your your goals? Well, actually, right now my goal is, it sounds funny, but my goal is to go to Europe in the summer, which because I've done that for, you know, over a decade, every summer to go wingsuiting in those mountains. And then with COVID, everything just got derailed and that whole pattern broke, really. And so it's actually been, I think this is the third summer I have not gone to Europe in a row. Okay. Okay. And it used to be this annual, you know, summer thing. So (laughs) my goal is to get back to Europe. um, I get that. And just just get into the mountains (laughs) there. I really miss it. Those are are really beautiful mountains and it's just so much fun to be there. So nothing specific. I would just go back to the kind of regular fun spots in the Alps that I like to go to. It's probably not going to happen this summer. My husband and I are building a house as in like we are building it ourselves. They're a little (laughs) busy then. (laughs) Yeah. So we're in the thick of it, but we should be done by the fall. And then. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Hopefully the world is back to normal. We're back to normal. Oh, man. I don't know about that. But in the wilderness, it might be. I know. Um, (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, I know. As best it can be. As uh, best it can be. You know, the one thing I wanted to see is, have you seen climate, like, affect your natural work environment? Like, have you been affected? You have? I'm just curious. Not to, like, doom and gloom, but I'm just curious as a a person whose office is the outdoors, like, what have you seen? The glaciers have been shrinking pretty dramatically for the last five years like visible with your own eyes when you go places yeah but nobody's been paying much attention to that outside of it um right now in the west we're having pretty major droughts and And fires that's part of the reason i had to leave california yeah Yeah. i live Mm -hmm. on the colorado river and so we're pretty sensitive to the the river level especially Uh because we're always in the river and Mm -hmm. just the last couple years it's been dry it's been low yeah. Every and like you say, the fires have been really bad in Colorado and Utah. And then most recently in Moab, it's been normally the spring is pretty windy, which yeah. is no good for base jumping and really not that fun anyway when it's super windy. But yeah, uh, yeah. we got through April with insane amounts of wind. And then May came in and we still had wind. And it's June now and we're still having high winds. And it's, yeah, that's not normal. And so I'm wondering if that's another climate change thing because it's not normal. It really is truly hard to know what is climate and what's not. But, you know, for you, you're uniquely affected by Mm -hmm. the weather. I mean, you know, if your entire life is in the hands of quantifying these risks, like I can't even imagine that that must be a little unnerving for you. Well, it's just something you're so aware of. I mean, everyone in Moab is complaining about the wind this season, but, you know, as a base jumper, 
you look at the wind forecasts all week and then you wake up in yeah. the morning and I have a flag outside my house and I just look at the wind and I want to know what direction and how strong it is. Like you're always looking at the wind. And so Got it. it's Got definitely it. something that is pretty dramatic for this season. And so I'm just curious to see how that's going to play out because that's just like another thing that I'm noticing. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, honestly, thank you so much for chatting with us about this. This was such a cool and unique perspective on everything. And I mean, what should I do if I want to get my kids into rock climbing? Should we just get a, like, I have a five-year-old. Should she try it out? Yeah. Kids love climbing and they're great at it because they don't have any mental limits or preconceptions of how they use their bodies. Yeah. And they love it because it's fun. So yeah. it's really, really good for kids. And then it's a great environment where they can, you know, meet other friends and they can go climbing and it's healthy, Fun. especially nowadays with the gyms. You can take yeah. your kids to the gym and they can learn how to do it safely in a controlled environment. <laughs> yeah, so, I, think, I think my daughter, my oldest daughter might be really into it because she, she also likes piano. And I think okay. she would like that focus and that peace mm -hmm. of mind and my husband and I really are trying to promote a life outdoors, even though we ourselves, well, my husband is, he did survivalist training and stuff, but I'm not as outdoorsy as I would like to be. So mm -hmm. I'm going to challenge myself as a parent to not be as cautious and be a little more well, free. Well, and you can, go with, you can go with them, you know? I'm going like you to. You can go learn together. And, I'm going to do and it. if they're really small, like if they're five, they can't belay you because they're too light. But, yeah. you know, if your kids are like, maybe 12, 14, you can be trading belays with each other and they can belay you too. Yeah. Steph, thank you so much for, where can we find you online and, and keep up with oh, you? Um, I don't think that's possible if we can, but at least we can <laughs> digitally. Yeah. The, probably the best places are my website. It's stephdavis.co. And then my Instagram is at high Steph. There you go. And honestly, if I ever needed a stunt woman, you'd be my first call. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> Vulnerable is hosted by me, Christy Carlson Romano. Produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham and executive produced by Brendan Rooney. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham and our video editor is Eduardo Gamba. Follow Vulnerable wherever you listen to podcasts so you can join me every week for a vulnerable conversation. And be sure to follow Vulnerable on Instagram and TikTok at The Vulnerable Podcast. And make sure to tune in to my YouTube to watch the video version. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.